You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. One of the cornerstones of our system of government is a justice system that is supposed to enforce laws equally and without prejudice. This system, of course, often falls short of the promise. But something has changed really dramatically since President Donald Trump took office in 2017. Under Attorney General William Barr, the Justice Department has repeatedly intervened on the president's behalf in ways that have made many current and former DOJ officials really uncomfortable. One of those former officials joins me now to talk about how she sees the role of the Justice Department changing under President Donald Trump. Barbara McQuaid is a University of Michigan law professor and former U.S. attorney here in Southeast Michigan. Barb, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks. Thanks very much, Stephen. Great to be with you. Yes, great to have you here. So talk about how you've seen the Justice Department change under President Donald Trump. The Justice Department um, always follows the, the policy directives of the president. And so as you said, it, it is supposed to enforce the law w- without uh, fear or favor of any pol- political party and exercise independence. And, you know, if there's a party in power, it may advance those policy preferences. Uh, you know, for example, during the Obama administration, uh, a priority was uh, civil rights enforcement. In the Trump administration, a priority is immigration enforcement. And everybody understands that, and that's a proper use of the Justice Department. What's an improper use of it is to uh, curry favor with the president's allies and to use the law to harm the president's rivals. And so some of the examples that we're seeing is the Justice Department's involvement in dismissing charges against Michael Flynn after he had already pleaded guilty on what I see as very shaky legal grounds, uh, recommending a reduced sentence for Roger Stone, who was convicted of concealing uh, campaign interference between WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign. Um, and most lately, this uh, intervention in the case, the defamation case brought by uh, the journalist Jean Carroll, who has accused President Trump of raping her in a dressing room in the 1990s. Those kinds of things suggest that the Justice Department is not there acting for the work of the people, but is working instead uh, to protect the president in his personal interests. And I think that's very harmful and damaging to the reputation of the department and its ability to do its work with public confidence. Mm. Uh, This was something that the founders were pretty concerned about when they were framing the Constitution and and coming up with our system of government, this idea that uh, that the appointees that the president uh, would make would be loyal to him or her rather than to the system uh, itself. And of course, there, there have been other times in our history where there have been real questions about uh, the behavior of uh, presidential appointees. Uh, do you see what is happening under President Trump as unprecedented, though? I mean, do you, is this another degree of, uh, of, of that problem than, than, than we've seen in, in other administrations? I think that when you talk about the founding, one of the things that the framers tried to do in terms of our system of checks and balances was to require Senate confirmation of cabinet officials. And the hope there was to maintain some integrity in that process and so that people were held accountable in that way. But one of the things, at least in in my view, is that the Senate, which is controlled by the Republican Party now, has not been doing its job in acting as an effective check 
on uh, President Trump's Hmm. nominees or in oversight, and the president has resisted many oversight efforts by Congress. And so uh, that seems to have been a little bit skewed from the intent. I think we did see similar abuses during the Watergate era, and as a result of that abuses, a number of policy decisions and norms were put in place to protect the Justice Department's independence and integrity. Mm-hmm. But we've seen President Trump really run roughshod over those those norms. They're, they're not law, they're just sort of traditions, but uh, they, they were put in place to prevent the kind of abuses we saw during Watergate, and President Trump has... Um, simply run roughshod over them. Mm. I, I, I mentioned in the open William Barr, who is the attorney general now, he's only been the attorney general since 2019. And, and there were other uh, folks in that role for President Trump before. Do you, do you think that the appointment of Barr and the performance that he's given since then is uh, yet another turn toward uh, the abuse of of that office and that department. Is there something about his performance in particular that we ought to be concerned about? Yes, you know, President Trump has sort of famously yearned for his Roy Cohn, a fixer, someone who could protect him and have his back. He was frustrated that Jeff Sessions didn't p- play that role. Mm-hmm. Jeff Sessions recused himself from the Russia investigation, for example, as you know, Justice Department ethics rules required him to do. In William Barr, we have seen um, uh, an attorney general who is eager to protect the president. I think he has this view of a very strong executive, and he also has a view, he has hinted, uh, that um, the investigation into the president was inappropriate. And so he has violated a number of norms since he became the attorney general, the first being the way he handled the submission of Robert Mueller's report, first sitting on it for three weeks and issuing his own spin about what it said, a spin that a federal judge called misleading and distorted. Uh, he later intervened in those cases I mentioned involving President's a- allies Michael Flynn and Roger Stone and now the Gene Carroll defamation case. And the part I really worry about is the opposite, not just protecting the president's friends, but harming the president's enemies. He has hinted and has admitted that he is involved in an investigation into the origins of the Russia investigation, the FBI agents who were involved in investigating that case. And, you know, the, the, the norm at the Justice Department is to neither confirm nor deny the existence of an investigation. He has repeatedly said, we've got an investigation going. He has also said that he does not intend to be bound by the other norm that the Justice Department refrained from filing charges when it has the discretion to do so in cases shortly before an election, typically about 60 days before an election. He has said he doesn't believe that policy applies unless the charges are against the candidate himself or herself. Mm. And so I am very fearful of that shoe uh, that's going to drop between now and the election, some October surprise that uh, attacks the integrity of the FBI or the Justice Department to uh, interfere with the current election. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Barbara McQuaid, law professor at the University of Michigan and former United States attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. We're talking about the Trump Justice Department under William Barr and whether it is stepping over the line of uh, doing what it should do in terms of serving the interests of the, the republic and serving the interests of government and whether it is actually serving the interests of the president himself, a longtime concern 
uh, in our country. Uh, it's not the first time we've had that kind of conversation, but certainly there are things that have happened under President Trump that we really haven't seen before. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and what tell us what you think of the Justice Department's actions under President Trump and Attorney General William Barr. Do you trust that the department is acting independently and fairly, or do you think it is working on behalf of the president's personal interests and to protect this president? Uh, give us an idea of what you think the consequences are for our democracy. Uh, when something like that happens. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work them into the conversation. Uh, Barb, I want to talk about you were a federal prosecutor here uh, in Detroit, uh, and I wonder what you imagine the effect of these kinds of questions and issues at the at the national level, have on local prosecutors? Does it affect the ability to, to run the offices uh, in, in, a, in a way that makes any sense? Well, I have great confidence in our, our U.S. attorney here in Detroit, Matthew Schneider, and in the people uh, who work there. I think that, um, I, you know, I, I don't know what their reaction to this news is, but I could imagine that it could have an impact on morale. Um, but I also know that the people who work in these jobs um, our career people, they are here throughout administrations. They will weather the ups and downs, and they'll focus on the work before them. There's still important work to be done in Detroit, and I'm sure they're focusing on their cases and their work. But what I do worry about is the reputation of the department and the ability for them to be effective in their work. Mm. If they bring a case uh, to trial and someone argues that the charges are politically motivated, even when they're not, I think that that gets a little more credence. Um, when the FBI knocks on someone's door because they're investigating a kidnapping, I think they're more likely to get the door slammed in their face when the president is talking about how the FBI is a disgrace. And so I worry about uh, their effectiveness and the public confidence um, in uh, the FBI and the Department of Justice uh, to, to do their jobs effectively. And so I think that and the long-term result of that is that we will have a country that is less safe. I also wonder what it means for people who are willing to serve in those in those roles. I mean, if you volunteer to do that, if you raise your hand to to, to say that's what you want to do, obviously the the, the reputation of the department has something uh, has an effect on on. The, you know that decision, and I I worry I guess that that the quality of people who will want to do the work could go down uh, as a result of this. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I I know I talk to people who um, sort of wrestle with should I resign, and, and my my advice is always absolutely not because we need good people in those jobs, and if you resign, um, think about the kind of person you might be replaced with, mm -hmm. and so I'd rather you be there and biting your tongue than than someone else um, who, who might get hired by uh, William Barr. But um, I, I, I do hear this from students, students who were once very eager to go work for the Justice Department, say they don't want to work in this administration. And even to them, I say, um, you know, weather it out. It's a great career, and we need good people uh, to be in there. We need people to push back. You know, I'm very proud of the prosecutors who uh, walked off the case in the Roger Stone case, in the Michael Flynn case, one of whom actually resigned from the department, but those who withdrew from the case. We also saw just recently um, a prosecutor working for John Durham 
that's the prosecutor who's investigating the origins of the Russia investigation who quit her job. Um, I think they can speak volumes when they stand up like that. Um, and so we need people of integrity to be there. Um, I, I, I'd rather see them stay um, and speak out. And you'll never know what conversations are occurring behind closed doors. And I'm hopeful that people of integrity are trying to speak truth to power during these times. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I do worry about the ability to attract people like my students who say, you know, I don't want to work for a Justice Department that uh, has the appearance of of acting as a personal law firm for the president. But uh, we need I, I would encourage them to go there. We need you to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Myrna in Ypsilanti. Myrna, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for taking this call. Mm -hmm. And um, I've long wondered, with all of William Barr's unscrupulous and unethical behavior, why hasn't somebody filed a formal complaint with the American Bar Association against him? Hmm. Uh, Interesting question, Myrna. I I don't know that they haven't. Um, But uh, Barb McQuaid, talk about the, I guess, the professional consequences that someone like William Barr might face, of course, uh, Bill Clinton, who was president of the United States and a, a lawyer, uh, faced uh, disbarment for, uh, for for lying under oath uh, while while he was president. So it's not it's not something that hasn't happened in the past. What what might be waiting for William Barr? Yeah, actually, there has been at least one um, misconduct grievance filed against him with the D.C. Bar. You know, the ABA is. Um, more of an organization that provides training and guidance and policy work, but every lawyer has to be a member of the bar of their state or district, and William Barr is a member of the District of Columbia Bar. There has been a grievance filed against him by other members of the bar Hmm. for the long list of things we just talked about. It hasn't been resolved yet, but I'll tell you my hunch is that those um, may not go anywhere, and that's because William Barr is so careful to avoid... um, uh, actual lies, but if you listen to his statements, they are so full of mistruths mm. and um, distortions. Yeah, um, he has the the legal right as the attorney general to um, intervene in the Flynn case or to intervene in the Stone case. Um, he's the boss of all those cases, and he can. But those are the only cases where he's intervened. You know, you don't see him intervening in the case of a drug dealer to say that sentence is just too high. Mm-hmm. He has only intervened in the cases of the president, which create. Even if he genuinely believed that, it is harmful to the independence of the Justice Department because it gives the appearance that he is acting uh, in a partisan manner. And so I think that he is extremely careful in the way he phrases things to avoid outright lies. But what he does is misleading. And you could never get away with the way he misleads the public um, in in court. A judge would absolutely call you on that every time. He went to a recent uh, hearing before the House of Representatives and in his opening statement, he gave a statistic about um, X number of white people have been shot by police officers this year and Y number of black people have been shot by police officers this year, period. And, and the number of black people is less than the number of white people. Mm-hmm. No doubt he wanted to give the impression that more white people get shot than black people. And so what's all the fuss about? But if you look at the percentage uh, of the population where only 13 percent of the population is black, the as a percentage per capita, the number of black people being shot by police is way more it's than way white more. People. Yeah. And, and so he gives this statistic that if you didn't think about that, you, you might shrug and say, oh, OK. But 
um, he, he, he doesn't include that, uh, you know, and I assume he said, well, it's literally true, and it is. So a, a really key thing to think about whenever William Barr speaks is, what is he not saying? Um, what can you read between the lines? Because so often what he says is, is um, misleading and distorting. But th- that, I think, gets back to um, this Barr grievance um, where uh, there is a duty of candor to the tribunal, but I think it might be difficult to prove literal falsehoods. Mm. He's very cagey about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I also wonder, you you referenced earlier the things that changed in terms of Justice Department uh, procedure and operation after the Watergate uh, scandal in order to prevent those things from from happening in the future. I wonder if you've given much thought to things that might need to change now or after the Trump presidency um, that that will maybe stiffen uh, those restrictions. I mean, is it is this um, uh, such an instance of of overstepping that we have to go back to um, the rules themselves and think of ways to to tighten them? I do. In fact, I've been working with the Center for American Progress on a blueprint for how to restore integrity and independence to the Justice Department, and I think that we do need to write these norms down. Many of them are just kind of traditions at the Department of Justice. For example, investigations occurring shortly before an election. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the things that happened in the 2016 election with Jim Comey announcing that, you know, we found more emails just uh, in October, shortly before the election, no doubt had some you know, immeasurable uh, influence on the election. Um, there are some things operationally that must be done. If someone is um, dangerous and needs to be removed from the streets, no doubt law enforcement has to act and do something. But very often in cases involving uh, you know, corruption or fraud, um, cases can wait. Uh, you can continue to investigate them quietly um, and issue charges at a time when they won't have an undue influence on the election. That has sort of been the policy, but it is not written in a clear fashion, um, and, and that needs to be done. Um, other things are relate to communication between the White House and the Justice Department about cases. Um, there have been kind of these memos that say, uh, you know, who, who should communicate with whom. But again, that needs to be a formal policy about not talking to the White House about cases um, unless there is some need to do that. You know, some national security need some foreign policy need, but ordinarily not sharing that information um, so that the Justice Department um, it can act truly independently. And even if there is communication, it should be a one-way street. The Justice Department can report up to the White House, uh, but not taking directive from the White House about how to handle particular cases so that they can be done with independence in a prosecutor's best uh, judgment. So some of those things I think should be codified to, to make it clear that's the way the Justice Department ought to operate. Mm-hmm. And I think we've We've learned a lot from the Trump administration about where the gaps are. We'll give them credit for that. Yeah. Uh, I, finally, I wonder what you worry about uh, if Donald Trump is reelected uh, in November. Does this do more damage? Does it do damage that is undoable uh, in a, in the next four years? I, I do worry about that, Stephen, because I think that the one important check that President Trump has had is reelection, and so. It puts uh, a little bit of uh, uh, of uh, uh, a leash on him, um, and without it, if he is unleashed, I think it will do a lot of things. It seems to me that a big part of his motivation is to be able to to profit, and uh, I worry about all of the things that he has done 
that violates the emoluments clause. You know, we have emoluments clauses that prevent presidents from profiting from the presidency, from taking gifts from uh, foreign leaders or from constituents. And he's come very close to the line many times, if not crossed it, by using his properties for the G7 and uh, as a stop for Air Force pilots to refuel. Um, what kinds of abuses might we see for him to help himself and his family members to profit from his presidency? Um, I worry about that. I worry about using the law to favor his friends and to harm his enemies. We've seen pardons of all kinds of people for public corruption. Um, I worry about what happens to um, people who um, are just living in in communities, doing their best every day uh, to be a good law-abiding citizen. When you see the president and other powerful people uh, not complying with the law, um, what does that do to the rest of us in terms of our respect for the rule of law and our willingness to comply with it? Um, his pardons of people like Rod Blagojevich um, and Sheriff Arpaio, you know, who else is in the pipeline for those kinds of things? So, yeah, I, I do think that uh, a reelected second term Donald Trump is even more dangerous than what we've seen right now. Okay, Barb McQuaid, law professor at the University of Michigan, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, You can also check out uh, Barb McQuaid's piece about the E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit and the way that the Justice Department is interfering with it in New York Magazine. It was published September 11th. All right, that's going to do it for us on Detroit Today. Today, I will be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.